Well, it's always a joy to come out and uh, visit you folk, and uh, we, over recent years, I think we've been doing it once a year, and so it's a, a real joy uh, to be with you today. Uh, as I was um, uh, giving some thought as to uh, what to share, uh, when I preach in churches, generally, uh, sometimes you address it to individuals and, um, and to encourage every individual to uh, be enriched in Jesus and to appreciate uh, that God is the center of their life and uh, that uh, whatever they're doing <clears throat> in life uh, centers around uh, God's love and power for you in whatever profession you are, education field you're in, whatever trade you're in, whatever home situation you're in, uh, Jesus is, uh, enriches you wherever you are. Amen. And we've got to be conscious of that because some people kind of go out of church and uh, de-religiousize. <laughs> in other words, you come to church and be spiritual and you go out and become secular again. No, the kingdom of God covers us and empowers us right through everything we think and do. And sometimes uh, when I'm out uh, sharing and preaching, I, I take a focus on, uh, on uh, the church collectively. And this morning we'll swing a little bit backwards and forwards from the church collectively uh, to individuals because uh, Jesus made it very clear that in the last days uh, from the time of the cross right through the 2,000 years until the conclusion of time, uh, he has purposed to do everything he wants to do on the earth through his church, through his people. And, uh, and he wants... Uh, to have the gospel uh, shared powerfully and meaningfully in the community. And New Zealand needs the gospel. There's no question about it. They reckon about 10% attend church. You could click it up to about 13%. And uh, how many of those are born again, love Jesus as their Lord and Savior? So as far as New Zealand's concerned, we have an enormous challenge. As far as the world is concerned, it is changing rapidly, but uh, there are still about 2.8 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. And Jesus said that when this gospel is preached in all the world, then the end will come. And uh, we don't uh, interpret that to be every individual, but to every people's group on the face of the earth. So we want to get this gospel out, and the answer to that is a, is a vibrant, lively church. Amen. And we thank God that his church, whether it's big or whether it's small, whether it's many thousands or whether it's in the tens. A, a church is vibrant if Jesus is the center and there's pulsating life and people are caring for one another, loving one another, and carrying their faith out in the community. And that's what it basically boils down to. There are big churches, but there are small churches, very powerful. I was sharing with someone just as I came in that you can go to a very large church and see 100 people giving their lives to Christ at the end of the meeting. But when you work out percentage-wise, it might be a very small percentage of those that are attending. And you can go to a small church where two people give their life to Jesus. But percentage-wise, it is very, very high compared to the numbers that are attending. So let's not get tied up with just numbers. Let's get tied up with the fact that we are living in the love and the power of Jesus. Jesus and that we're communicating his love to people. That's the bottom line. I just want to read from a, a church called the Antioch Church. There are a lot of churches mentioned in the New Testament. They're all a bit different. I remember years ago somebody said, you know, we've got to be like the New Testament church. Uh, have you ever heard that statement? We've got to be like the New Testament church. And I often reply, which one? 
Amen. Because the New Testament had the Jerusalem church. And it was a very conservative church. It was just coming out of, out of the Jewish faith and starting to embrace what it was to be Christian. Amen. Without dependence on the law and the ceremonies of the religious laws of their days. And then you have the Antioch church, which we'll look at, uh, which was a, a, a church which became cross-culture. It's the first one to identify as a, as a church, as a being, to, to move out of the Jewish uh, scene and start to touch the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And then we have the Galatian churches, which went through a bit of a conflict uh, because um, they started to revert back into old legal practices and, and Paul writes the Galatian letter to them. And then we flick over to the churches of Macedonia, which became great missionary churches. When Paul writes back to one of them, Philippi, he says to that church how generous it was. And he refers to those churches as being very generous. When he writes to 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says how the churches of Macedonia are so generous, amen, in giving uh, to what God is doing beyond their own borders and into the world, amen. So we see that as a, a real caring church. Then we get to the, the you know, the, the, the church at Corinth, and it's a contemporary church. Most people who were saved in that church were saved out of the world. They were living immoral lives. They were self-centered. Uh, they had no real uh, Jewish background. They had no religion background and that's why Paul writes so much stuff in 1 and 2 Corinthians to try and get that church reoriented in its mindset and in its values. Amen. And that's because it was a very contemporary church. You get to the Ephesian church and you see that that church for instance was a change agent church. When a revival was poured out for three years at Ephesus we see at the end that even the community started to feel the impact of so many people getting saved they weren't buying idols anymore and it started to affect the businesses in town that were making idols and there caused a, a, a bit of a civil up you know uproar in the town and so it became a church that started to impact and change the community so when I ask the question people ask the question we've got to be like the New Testament church I often say which one Amen. Because they all have their own distinctiveness. And when we look today, there's a lot of distinctives that churches carry. We have major churches doing major things in particular areas, whereas other churches are doing things. We have a church in, in Auckland, which I call a mission church. I went there the other day. Every year I speak at their mission conference. It's a small church in a poor area of Auckland, yet they send out overseas every year at least 130000 dollars from a small church in a poor social area of Auckland. Amen. And percentage-wise, it's probably the greatest giving mission church in New Zealand as I travel around. Uh, a lot of churches will give a lot more money. I had a church many years ago which would give something around about eight or $900,000 a year to missions. But this church outgrows that in many ways, simply because of the size and the resources they have, and they do it by faith and vision. And they're into 50-something countries of the world. Amen. Influencing, doing something for the glory of God. So churches are distinct. Churches are different. There are common factors in every church. And the common factors is our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Common factors is we come together and we encourage one another. Amen. 
we grow and are discipled to be like Jesus. Amen. We, we, we reach out to our communities the best way we possibly can according to the tools that God has given to us. So there are common things that churches have, but there are also distinctives. And I've picked up on the Antioch church here this morning as one because it's just a couple of things. I've probably got about 50 things I can clean out of this church, all right? But uh, I'm just going to pick on some this morning. But before we read it, let's read it first in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Sometimes it's good to, to read uh, the scripture and it answers a lot of the, the talk that takes place. It says, now those who had been scattered, in other words, previously a lot of the Christians had stayed at Jerusalem. Many people had come in from the Roman Empire uh, to the major feasts that were being held at Jerusalem, particularly proselytes and, uh, and Hellenistic uh, um, uh, Jews from around the Roman Empire all came into Jerusalem for some feasts and the revival broke out on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was outpoured. And they stayed around a little bit longer than they should because if you're in the middle of a revival, you might as well stay there. And finally we see because of persecution, they were scattered. And it says here, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hands was, was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, Paul had been there for about eight years, he brought him back to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine that would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts uh, to the elders by the uh, Barnabas and Saul. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucas, Amanium, and Saul. And they were all worshipping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Amen. The reason I read this story about the Antioch church is it's often been called a mission church. Uh, it's simply because we put uh, terminologies to things we read in Scripture, but um, it, was a, it was a church that was a second-generation church. The first-generation church was Jerusalem. Remember, back then there's only one church. Today around the world there are tens of thousands and probably millions of churches around the world. Over a couple of thousand churches in Auckland. And around the world there are many churches. Back 
back then there was one church, the Jerusalem church. And as people started to be spread from Jerusalem, they started to preach the gospel, and Philip went down into Samaria and had a revival there and the church got planted and then he spoke to an African, a guy returning to Africa and he no doubt carried the gospel back and a church was planted in Ethiopia and, and, and suddenly the gospel spreads out and uh, we, we see here that a group, a, a couple of guys or a number of people uh, go to Antioch and they go there to plant the church. At a conference some time back, I was asked to speak to Christian leaders from gathering from around New Zealand, and they wanted to ask uh, me to go and do a Q&A. They wanted me to sit down as a person who'd been around the block a couple of times, and they wanted to ask some questions. And uh, one of the questions they asked, I've put it here in the notes, and uh, it says, if you could revert back to 25 years a 25-year-old pastor in today's world, um, what would you do differently and what would you not change? And that was a good question. You had all these Christian leaders there and they wanted to know if I went back to being 25. Well, I could actually answer that one because I know what I was doing at 25. I was planning a church in Dunedin. And uh, later this year, we've been invited back to that church, 48 years after we planted it. We've been invited to go back there and dedicate their, their new complex there. And the church has grown over those 48 years. It's become a, a meaningful church down in that part of New Zealand. And so um, we, we went, my wife and I went down, down there uh, to uh, Dunedin. And we didn't go to plant a church. And... Uh, we, we went down there, and I, I, under point one here, I, I've made this statement, take opportunities. And it says, <clears throat> those who had scattered, were scattered, traveled as far as Antioch. And um, quite often, we try to calculate the calling and the work of God as if God has to give us his whole agenda. Uh, but I find in life sometimes circumstances and opportunities come differently and they can even surprise us and these guys had been in Jerusalem they're in a revivalistic atmosphere and uh, they weren't sent out they weren't prayed over they weren't given the word of the Lord they never went to the Bible and got a good direction they were scattered there was a persecution there was a circumstance which scattered them abroad we know around the world today that many people have been moved through various scatterings. we got it happening in the Middle East at the moment, people being scattered. Many of those people are being scattered, are being taken in by various countries of the world. From a political point of view, it's causing upheaval. Even in New Zealand, there's debates even coming up to our elections to what do we do with migration into New Zealand. I want to tell you, I am not going to talk politically because Bigger than the political is the God factor. And here we find in the Bible that they were scattered. And in this scattering, they didn't sit down and say, is this in or out of the will of God? They responded. They took the opportunity to deal with what they had. And when they went to Antioch, they dealt with what they had. And they started just to preach Jesus. Amen. 
Some people, when they're scattered, when their agenda that they think God has for them has somehow been upset, they go cold on God. But I see here that they didn't go cold on God. Even though they were scattered, even though they were moving, even though they were going into areas they didn't expect. We've got it also in the Bible with, with um, Aquila and Priscilla. They were scattered from Rome and, and uh, they went to Corinth. And then later on they were moved again and they went to Ephesus. But wherever they went, they preached. They helped establish the church of God. They did not in any way say, listen, God has let me down, therefore... I'm going to do nothing. Amen. They realize that the circumstances of life seem to blow over everyone. When we went down to Dunedin, 19, into 1969, 1970, my wife, went to, we went down there to take over a little church. And uh, because of a whole lot of uh, bad circumstances, that never really eventuated. And so we found ourselves sitting in Dunedin. My wife loved it. She's a librarian by background. She got a job in the university there and she just, she's worked for, I don't know, four of our universities and she just loves that sort of stuff. You know, books and smell and all that stuff of books and, and you know, and, uh, you know, but Dunedin never really grew on me. When you drive into Dunedin coming from the north, you drive in and you kind of, it's not an appealing city. Anyone lived in Dunedin? Anyone been to Dunedin? Okay, I'm not asking your opinion, all right. And because, uh, you know, we get everybody's opinion here and I'm staying safe. And, uh, but anyway, we drove in and, and, um, and things didn't work out. And here we were in the town and I, I tried to get a job to plant a church. You have to get a job for the first 10 years in the ministry. I worked and planted churches. Uh, and then after that, they grew so fast that I went full time. But for the first 10 years, it kinda, I, I, I got jobs and I worked and, and got into business and did whatever I needed to do so that we had the resources that we could plant churches. So we went down there and you kind of felt scattered. You felt that... Your, your, your foundations were, were shaky, you know, God, where are you? We came down here with an intent. Uh, our intent was to come and take over a particular church, but for a whole lot of circumstances which were nothing to do with us, they were uh, other uh, suspect circumstances, it never happened. And here we were in the city wondering what we're going to do. And uh, we were offered a, another church in the town from another movement, and we looked after it for a while while the pastor went on a missionary trip. And, and then uh, when he came back, we handed it back, and, and, and we went, and we just sat there. What are we going to do? You're feeling scattered. But there's something that burns in you. And this is what Christianity is all about. I'm going to fall off here in a minute if I don't watch it. Did you see that? Yeah, you're thinking, yeah, please do that. Please do that. No, no, I'll step back a bit. Okay. And, uh, and so there's something that burns. When I became a Christian from a non-Christian background as a young fella, and um, I, I was at work, and I went to a crusade meeting and heard a preacher, and I gave my life to Jesus that night and went back to work next day and noticed a couple of things had changed. My, my violent personality, my anger had gone, and uh, my blasphemous tongue had gone, and I'd lost three quarters of my language. Amen. You know, I knew Jesus was real. You see? He was not an academic sort of achievement. I didn't get to God because I did a, a, a mental evaluation. 
I was asked a few years ago to speak in a Baptist church which wasn't charismatic on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they asked me to talk about how God worked. And I, and, and I was going to do it straight from the Bible, but I didn't do it from the Bible first. I did it experientially. And I talked about what God had done for me, how I got saved with no knowledge of the Scriptures, how I got born again and transformed and delivered and set free and filled with the Holy Ghost and healed without even knowing it was in the Bible. You know what I used to call them? God things, because I didn't know what else to call them. Amen. But then I started to learn the Word of God, and I remember I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and I thought it was a unique experience. But then I read it in the Bible and thought, how common. Amen. It's so common it's even in the Bible. Amen. And I was at this Baptist church, and I was telling them the experience I had, but then I came and supported it with Scripture. Amen. You see, not everything comes Bible first, then experience. Sometimes it becomes experience, then Bible. And same here in these experiences. When we went down to Dunedin, we think, well, God's going to give us some clarity, going to tell us what to do. No, 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 he didn't tell us anything to start with. Basically, it was, I'm here, I'm born again, I better do something. And as we start to think about it, we think, well, let's start it. Another church on the other side of town. There's no church on the other side of town. People say, were you called to do it? I don't know. Just did it. Hmm. That's shattered a few things. I could preach on the call of God. Remember, God calls us to holiness, calls us to follow Jesus, calls us to live a godly life, calls us to a whole lot of things. Strategic call can come in all sorts of ways. Joseph in the Old Testament didn't know what he was going to do for 22 years after he had his dream as a 17-year-old boy. Amen. He knew he was going to be a leader one day, but he had no idea what he was going to lead. He ended up leading Egypt, amen, and providing a haven for his family to come and live there and grow over 400 years from a family to a great nation. He didn't know that. He didn't know his call, what his call was. He just knew he was called to do something significant. And sometimes the call, as far as his strategic agenda, is not clear. And you get into something and you do it with godly values, godly motive, and bringing honor to Jesus. And so when we were down in Dunedin, 25, they asked me, what would I do again? I would keep the fire of God burning in my heart. Whatever the circumstances, whether I was scattered or kicked or run over by a bulldozer, amen. Somehow, by the grace of God, I would find, amen, within that Jesus that I have believed in, Jesus that I have committed my life to is real. Amen. And whatever happens, and over the years you find that happens. Young people pray that everything goes glorious. But somewhere along the line you learn a great truth. Mountains and valleys go together. Cannot have a mountain without a valley. And you cannot have a valley without a mountain. The thing is, the Lord is the Lord of the mountains, and the Bible says he's also the Lord of the valleys. Amen. Never leaves us. And so I see taking opportunities. So when we were in, down in Dunedin, they said, what would you do? I would do something. I would do something. Over the years, yes. Accepting the call and the direction of God got more strategic. Have I been supernaturally called into situations? Absolutely. 
But back then the call of God comes in different ways and how it came was I was scattered. I found myself in a circumstances where things were changing but nevertheless my wife and I got in and we started to plant a church. Me and Paul Liasso who just passed away a few weeks ago. Samoan guy, got saved, came into the church full of the Spirit of God. He was such an enthusiastic. I remember day, one day, you know, he was saved, just him, my wife, Paul, me, and Bo, four of us. Amen. I even preached an evangelistic meet, message one Sunday morning to four people, five people. And I'd prepared it, and I believed the hall was going to be filled with non-Christians. And when I got to church on Sunday, there was just four of us. I'd prepared an evangelistic message. So my wife got evangelized, Paul got evangelized, and Bo got evangelized all over again. I didn't think I was going to be spending a week preparing an evangelistic message and not preaching it. You would say, how dumb. I'll tell you how dumb it was. There was a young guy walking along, along the footpath and stopped outside and listened from outside and then came in and got saved. Amen. That's how dumb it was. Hallelujah. Sometimes dumb things which you would never do turn out to be quite good. Amen. Do I do that these days? Preach to a, a bunch of three people with a great evangelistic sermon if they're all born again probably not but back then you want to get things moving take opportunity so we took an opportunity and decided to plant a church the second thing i just wanted to say from the notes here is keep relevant you know <clears throat> we find ourselves in a community that's changing all the time and there's a big debate on relevance today. What's the difference between being relevant and compromising? Look, the gospel message never changes. It just changes through the avenue. You can find it through the New Testament as you read about Paul traveling around, preaching to a Jewish community and then preaching to a Gentile community. The gospel never changed, but often some of the ways in which he did things might have been applied differently. And we must keep relevant. And it says in the text here, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the gospel. This was a second generation church. Been birthed under Judaism and uh, Messiah had become real. That was Jesus Christ. And they were moving to reach the world through a Masonic, uh, not a Masonic, a Messianic type of faith. And, uh, and uh, they weren't just taking the gospel directly to the Gentiles. They were doing it through their uh, Jewish uh, avenue. And uh, suddenly we find this new church just goes and, and makes a decision that they're going to preach to the Gentiles. Now that seems to be a very minor thing, but that was a major thing. It was major. I remember way back in the, in the 70s, I had a, uh, in New Zealand, we had um, God poured his spirit out upon Roman Catholics. And uh, anyone who was raised in Protestant uh, denominational things like that, uh, you know, couldn't quite handle that. Uh, I'm not in any way advocating all the uh, doctrines of Catholicism that I have difficulty with and many others have difficulty with. 
But God poured his, his spirit out upon them and uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 a tremendous reaction in some circles that even Roman Catholics could be born again and be filled with the spirit. And there was a big debate happened way back then about that. And, um, but then I had a friend and his name was, um, uh, he was a top Bible teacher, uh, Mulvey, Cecil Mulvey. And he, he, he went over to Ireland, visited Ireland back then. And uh, when he was in Ireland, for some reason, he got <clears throat> into an avenue of traveling amongst uh, some uh, uh, Catholics. He's a, he's a Pentecostal minister. And when he went over there, just because of some connections, he finds himself going to some Catholic charismatic home groups. And so he found he's going to these groups where they preach Jesus, they love Jesus. None of the Mariology or Transfiguration stuff or uh, 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 trans, uh, whatever it is. It, it's something. Okay. And uh, I'm getting older. And, um, and uh, none of that going on. They're just loving Jesus. And while he was there uh, and talking to them, they suddenly asked him, you know, where did he fellowship? And he said, well, you know, he said, oh, in New Zealand. And, and he said that he was a, a Protestant. And they looked at him in absolute amazement. This is an island. These, these charismatic cats looked at him and says, Does God pour his, has God poured his spirit out upon the Protestants? They were just as amazed as he was amazed. And sometimes we, 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 we cannot calculate... Um, what are the fundamentals of a person being born again? And, uh, and so the false doctrines come and have got to be dealt with, but underneath that there are people who genuinely experience Jesus as their Savior. And we've got to keep relevant in this age and connecting with people and bringing the gospel to them. And so we see here that, that he said he began to speak to the uh, Gentiles and... Uh, as a church, I often get asked the question, <clears throat> how do we keep relevant today? How do we, as a church, connect with our community? And I've given a lot of thought about this because I know a lot of churches adapt, adopt programs. They look for methods and techniques and ways to do it, and that might be necessary. But there's one thing that I absolutely learned right back in the beginning when we were in Dunedin and we had nothing at all, four people gathering in a meeting. All we had was our enthusiasm for Jesus, our faith for Jesus and our confidence in Jesus. We met in a little hall. We had to go down on Saturday nights uh, sorry, Sunday morning early and clean it out of all the bear cags. Run around with spray cans and get some fresh air other than grog in the place. And, uh, and uh, we had very basic music. We didn't have anything beautiful like you have here. Uh, my wife, boy, I better be careful here. My wife played the piano, but she, uh, and she did it. And we had Paul on the guitar. And, and, uh, and, we, and we just loved Jesus. Amen. One of the things that began to happen as we did that is we found out that uh, <clears throat> somehow people started hearing about this crazy little group. I don't know how they heard about it, but then we started to get students coming from Knox Theological College. 
And Professor Gearing was in the college back then. He later on got kicked out of the Presbyterian Church because of heresy. But um, he was teaching in there. He didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus and things like that. And so he was there. And we had these students started to come from Knox College. But Knox also had a residential college. And we had dentists coming and doctors coming to our church. And as they started to come, we just preached the gospel the best we could. We did what we felt was relevant. I advertised the most ridiculous ads in the paper. They were the most ridiculous. Would I do them today? No. I put one half-page ad in the paper. Wanted 1,000 people to prove the power of this message. You wouldn't do that today because then I listed all the things that God could do. And we had them television media came along and asked me if I was a Christian salesman. And I said, well, why? They said, well, the way you're advertising. Why did I advertise like that? Not because I'd been to any marketing course, not anything. It's just that I thought, how the heck am I going to communicate with people? And me being me back then, people say, would you do it that way today? Um, no. Modified a little bit, but back then when you're raw and you're full of faith and you're full of vigor, you, you basically just did it. And so people started to come along to see who this strange person was, ministry, and this strange gathering of people. These people started coming from the, the theological students, dental students, doctors. Um, doctors and, and started coming to our church. We wondered why, because we were so raw. I mean, I am the rawest of the raw of Pentecostals. I mean, I'm still learning. I, back then, my wife will tell you, I was still trying to learn to speak the English language, you know, and so they're coming along. Then I was called by the minister up in Corstaphine, and he asked me, the Presbyterian minister, if I would go up and see him. And so I went up there, and I thought, well, why does he want to see me? And <clears throat> he said, look, would you mind going on pastoral rounds with me? I never even heard of a thing called pastoral rounds. But apparently in the Presbyterian circle up there, every second house along the street is a Presbyterian. And so the rounds were, you walk along the street. Now, as far as my church is concerned, I'd have to drive from one side of town to the other side just to see my two members. Amen. But they had them all in a geographical area. And so we're walking down the street, and we go into a house. He knocks on the door. Lady comes to the door. Hello, Reverend. You know, you know they're very prim and proper. In Scots, Scots area, you know. And, um, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor, Pastor Price and introduce And then he shut up. He shut up. He wouldn't say anything. And, and I thought, that's odd. And so I get a conversation with the lady, and... Only after the event did I know God was working. You see, half, 90% of the time, you don't know God's working for you until after the event, all right? Some people say, I want a word of knowledge. You know you've got a word of knowledge after the event because you've spoken out of the thought processes that have come to you at that time. You know Jesus, you love Jesus, and he can work on your thought processes. And after the event, even in business, you can find that after you think, boy, that was odd, that was strange, but that's God. Amen. And so I talk to this lady, and then he takes me down to the next house, and I talk to somebody at the next house, and we go to the next house, and we go to one house where there's a teenage boy with his mother, and the boy's inside, and he's full of rebellion. And the mother meets us at the door and says, oh, I'm just exasperated about my son, da-da-da. And I see him sitting over there, so I went over and sat down and started talking to him. And as I'm talking to him, I started giving a bit of my testimony. And before I'm, I've left that home, I've, left that, I've led that boy to the Lord. Amen. 
Now you say, why, why did that happen? I have no idea, except later on I found out. When we got back up into the church where the minister is, I said, now I want to ask you a question. I have never done this before. I've never been asked by a Presbyterian minister to go walking around the street uh, visiting people where he knocks on the door and the person answers the door, he introduces me and then he shuts up and says nothing. And this is what he said to me, he said, I had heard through the theological students that God by the power of the Holy Spirit was working in this little Hanover old people's hall. And he says, I have degrees in psychology. He said, that's my, my major area. And he says, I thought it was mind over matter and manipulation. So I wanted to find out personally. So I brought you up here and I basically tested you. And I said, so what's your conclusion? He says, you move in the Holy Spirit. That guy got baptized in the Holy Spirit and set on fire for God and became a major minister amongst the Presbyterian move in New Zealand. Amen. Out of a simple thing like that. What was the relevance? The relevance was you've always got to be willing to stretch out. You've always willing, got to be willing to go where you normally will not go. From time to time we do strange things. But the fact is, folk, if we keep so cool, calm and collective, sometimes we can miss creativity. We can miss opportunity. And so here I see keeping relevant. And in that situation, it was very challenging. And I'm taking you back. Now, if I went back, I might as well take that. You want, the, you want the end of that story? Well, the minister then spoke to the students. Then I had some of the students, theological students from Knox, coming to my flat, knocking on the door. And I'd open the door and they'd say, oh, I'm so-and-so. Uh, I'm a theological student. Can I come in and talk with you? Then they would come inside, and then they did that stupid thing. You see, they'd sit down, and they'd say nothing. They'd say nothing. They, 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 they're waiting for me to do the, the Pentecostal magic thing or something. You know, it was as funny as anything. But it's just a matter of talking with people. And one of the things that I have come to conclusion, I remember with many evangelism techniques that have been applied over the years. People say we've got to learn to witness to our neighbours, witness to our friends, witness to people at work. And I remember once I, I said, no, I think that is a major mistake. I think it's a major mistake for you to go out as a prime motivation is to witness to people. And boy, that got a real silence as it's getting here right now. Amen. I said, the main thing you need to do with people in your community and people at work and friends is talk with them, is learn to hold a conversation. I said, going to next door neighbor and talking to them about Jesus and you have never talked to them about anything else, I mean, you've got a door, you've really got to push hard to open. But I said, if you talk with people about all sorts of things and help them out and connect with them and touch them, and learn the art of communication, just share communication. And you're carrying Jesus in your heart and life. Out of that communication, an opportunity will come for you to share in the appropriate way your relationship with Jesus Christ and what he means to you and what he can mean to them. Amen. Sometimes we turn it into something mechanical when we should turn it into something normal. And Christianity is a normality. Just moving quickly so I can close here. 
because I see my TikTok is talking away. Number three, it says they began to speak to the Greeks also. And that word also is always being inventive and expansive. The word also in the Greek is, it conveys the idea that, um, you know, you're, you're moving into a new dimension. They were speaking to the Jews, but they decided to speak to the Greeks also. And I believe that the Lord wants to challenge us as individuals and challenge us as a church. Even as an individual, what can I do that is an also? Something else, something I haven't done before. Some decision that will enable me to carry Jesus Christ a little further than I've ever carried him before. They spoke to the Jews, but they decided to speak to the Greeks also. They decided to break out. And I believe it's very, very important for us individually as well as collectively to always have an also. I've had six churches over the, the years that I've been in the ministry, from the smallest, as I said, four people, up to a church of many thousands. And I want to tell you, I've always, as we've got together annually to get together to pray, like we see at the Antioch Church in chapter 13, the oversight of the church got together and they started to pray and seek the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the, uh, the, the, call, the mission in which I've called them. Amen. And, um, and, uh, and they sent them out to take the gospel to the Gentile world further afield. That church also had an also. They had added an also. We must really collectively pray annually about what our also is. We might be adding a new emphasis to what we're doing, but we might be doing something well. In missions, every year in my church, I'd add a new missionary. Every year. Because as the church grew, we could do that. Earlier years, one. Then two. Then three, amen. Always an also, always adding, always something to expand us. I encourage us along that line. Number four, just finishing off. And when they arrived, when he arrived, that's Barnabas at the church, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. One of the things I think is incredible is um, the grace of God in all its fruitfulness did not have to be taught. <laughs> it became an, uh, an inherent dynamic within the hearts of the people and the hearts of the church. So when Barnabas turned up, we see he saw evidence. The new NIV says they saw what the grace of God had done. And as I went through there, I thought, well, what did they see? That's a good question. There's a lot of theology on the grace of God. There's a lot of theology. You can get a lot of teaching today on excessive grace and, and, um, and restrictive grace and all sorts of messages around the world on the grace of God, grace becoming too liberal on some places and becoming too law-bound on, on other areas and so forth. But the grace of God, amen, it has a theological element to it, but it also has an experiential, fruitful element to it. And it says here, we saw... Uh, and seeing the grace of God, what did they see? We, they saw evidence of transformed lives. I think there's nothing more incredible to see somebody discover Jesus, the reality of Jesus, amen, and their life changes. They need discipleship. They need input. Amen. But there's a life change. I always remember when I became a Christian. I knew that I was, had an experience in my life. 
And I knew that certain bad things changed initially. But I knew that some other things, some attitudes, I used to have an attitude that nobody tells me what to do. Probably still got a little bit of it. But anyway, I had a real, real strong attitude that no one was going to tell me what to do. But when I got to Bible college, it became a bit of a problem. You know, because at Bible college, you had to do a, uh, duties, what we used to call scrubology. And I'm at Bible college and I have to do these things. And every student had to do it. But I was working at the time and had making a bit of money. So I thought it was a brilliant idea to pay the other students to do my duties. Because they needed money and I didn't need duties. Amen. But the faculty didn't quite see it that way. And it upset them. Amen. I could not see the logic. But I want to tell you, when I was at Bible college for 18 months, I had another experience in God. We had a visiting preacher, and I had an experience with God. And suddenly I could see these things. I could see how, a bit like Peter, you know, egotistical and self-centered. You know, in the Last Supper, um, Jesus says, you know, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. And Peter said, oh, don't worry about me, Lord. You know, all these other people might leave you, but I'll die for you. You know, just a big egotistical brute. You know, but God changed him again through those denials and recovered him and then released him with a humility and a, a broader thinking of heart. Amen. I love seeing lives changed. And the church here, when he came, he was able to see the evidence of fruitful lives. He was able to see evidence of positivity in the midst of, of opposition. Remember, this church was born out of a scattering. He was able to see evidence of the power of God at work, the miracle-working power of God, and God doing wonders in the midst of the people. He was able to see, I'm reading these through quickly, he was able to see evidence of acceptance and real care among the people. We see that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 when the Jerusalem church. You know, there was real dynamic of care for one another. I don't think there's anything more powerful in a church than love being expressed through awareness and care of other people. Amen. Knocking on the door, ringing somebody up, dropping around, taking a meal, bringing a cake. Amen. I mean, I remember last year at the passing of Pastor Ian's mother. Amen. The care that took place in the family here. I heard about it. Amen. Even I heard about that. Amen. And you see, that's, that's evidence of the grace of God. That evidence can go further into the community to where you are. Amen. Evidence of spiritual life, excitement and joy in the praise of God. Ben, where are you? Down there somewhere. I enjoyed, we're going to finish in a second, but you know, I enjoyed, I, I was watching Ben's face this morning leading. <clears throat> and you know, he didn't look like a, you know, one of those stone statues I saw when I went through all those museums in Europe. Man, I've seen more museums than is healthy for any Pentecostal. And, uh, but he looked alive and his face was, and I thought, glory be to God. Amen. There's something about the joy of God reflecting, isn't there? Amen. And so we see the nurtured, the grace of God. We see the evidence of activity and expressions of giftedness. Everyone is gifted. Every single one. If anyone here says, I don't have a gift, well, <clears throat> go and talk to the Lord about that because he made you and gave you one. Amen. It might be suppressed. It might be a little bit out of, you know, need a little bit of chips off it. But we're all gifted. Amen. You got it? We all carry something. Some are 
extroverts, some are introverts, some are quiet. Oh, glory be to God. Say to them, I am phenomenally gifted. Because you are. And even if you're old or young, we're all gifted. Glory be to God and just the little things. You know, when I was a pastor of a church, I want to tell you what I noted. I always noted, noticed the things that weren't done rather than the things that were done. We had six acres in one of my churches, and if the lawns weren't mowed, I would notice it. <clears throat> so we had a guy in the church came up to us one day because we were running rosters and everything like that. I'll finish on this. And we were running rosters and all sorts of things. And he came up and said, Pastor, if you can put $250 a month into a special account, we will look after the lawns and you'll never have to worry about them ever again. I did that. And I was there 11 years and never worried about the lawns ever again. I saw $28,000 mowers turning up brand new. I had no idea where they came from. You know why? Because they bought them themselves. <laughs> and in other words, because they had the resources and they just said, Pastor, the lawns are our responsibility. Now, Obviously, we tied it in to accountability in the church because you've got to have financial accountabilities. But the fact was, I never worried about it again. And I want to tell you, lawnmowers are gifted of God. They're the blessed, best thing. Amen. Somebody in the foyer saying hello to people who come in the door with a smile. I mean, glory be to God, there's nothing... Do you know that a lot of people come to church because they got their first smile paid off? Yeah, welcome. Good to have you here today. Glory be to God. This young lady here, well, she probably says I'm not young anymore, but she looks very, very young to me. Amen. She was speaking to me in the door over there, and I, I was trying to figure out her occupation. I got it wrong, but I got it in the right category. I thought she was a psychologist, but uh, she turned out to be a teacher. Amen. You know, the three main bossy ones in society are nurses, teachers, and psychologists. Amen. <laughs> Glory be to God. And, uh, you know, everybody agrees with me? Nobody. Okay, we'll move on. So let's conclude this morning. Um, when we were down in Dunedin and we were pioneering that church 25 years ago, there were a lot of things we would do again. The majority of them we would do. We would look at, at, at having spiritual dynamic and being fresh and alive and carrying Jesus and communicating Jesus wisely in the best way. We were a bit creative, yes, when some of those creativities were probably a little overbold, but they brought fruitfulness. And, um, and people came and they experienced the power of God and the love of God. And they knew it was real and they knew it was authentic. As I said, the Presbyterian minister wanted to test whether we were authentic or we were just a show. And I'll tell you one thing about the house of God, amen. If you're authentic... <coughs> Anybody will notice it. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. My sister took my sister five years to conclude that I was born again. Because previous to that, I was a little different. And uh, she thought it wouldn't last. But it did last. And, uh, and uh, I ended up baptizing my sister many years later and uh, in the church. And... Um, 
and she became uh, she was born again and she loved the Lord and filled with the spirit and and baptized in her but when I got saved she just didn't think it could happen things take a little bit of time sometimes but uh, it's the grace of God a church builds this momentum inherently from what every individual carries <clears throat> we don't just look at programs programs are what we do what we are is the most important thing can I encourage you as a congregation amen uh, to nurture your relationship with Jesus your love of Jesus amen if you have any problems if you have any sins if you have any inherent character flaws in the past well he's in the business of walking you through them without in any way ever rejecting you because he loves you simple as that amen can we stand please please thank you team amen I just like to pray this morning <clears throat> and um, there are folk here I can see there's some uh, folk who have been on the way for many years and there are some younger ones and so forth and we all find ourselves at different phases of life but Jesus never changes he's the same amen yesterday today and forever and I just want to pray hallelujah that um, as a church as a church that we become a reflection of divine grace to all we touch and all we do but it starts in our own individual hearts and lives father I pray this morning I ask in Jesus name that you bless us father I, I look at the young and I look at the older and I look at those more senior this morning and I appreciate Lord that you love us each one you love us incredibly you died on the cross you rose from the dead you ascended to heaven you sent your Holy Spirit we thank you Lord that we're not just dealing with you academically we're dealing with you experientially we thank you that by the power of your spirit and the power of your love you touch our hearts you touch our lives for us to stand up and not just be self-sufficient but to be those who become lights we radiate amen your love to those around about us enable us Lord to be those who can carry you in the authenticness of our lives in who we are through our unique giftedness express yourself through us I just want to say by the Spirit of God there, there are some people here one or two people here who do judge yourself too much simply because you're comparing yourself with someone else and I want to say, listen, you don't have to compare. It might be exciting to have the giftedness and the opportunities and the open doors and the privileges and the capabilities of someone else. But I want to tell you, you are what you are. And what you are is of far greater potential than probably you even realize at the moment. So find yourself. Find yourself and be yourself in Jesus' name. So Father, we commit this gathering to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, team. Please lead us. Amen.